everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Well, a standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say. You will obey. It is the word of Landrew. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's newest series about Star Trek's oldest series, the original series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew. I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me today is Mike from Commentary Track Stars. Hey, how's it going? It's fantastic. I'm chipper. That's good. That's good. So today we're going to talk about something that starts with C, but not a character, a concept, or cliche, but the creator, the great bird of the galaxy, Gene Roddenberry. Yep. It seemed to make sense. You know, before we got too far, you know, all of this is, is his fault or responsibility or whatever. So, need to need to, to give credit where credit's due. Yes. From, from the mind of one Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. He had a vision, came to him in a dream. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> we'll just make up stories. People believe us. He did. <laughs> uh, I appreciate Gene Roddenberry as a creator because he had a vision and he stuck to it, unlike other creators of other franchises that we won't get into. Who are you talking about, Drew? Not not George Lucas. I'm what? not making this a Star Wars episode. What's Star Wars? I haven't I heard of that show. I don't know. Oh. That wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Gene Roddenberry, I feel. I, yeah, probably right. Sure, Star Wars is a, you know, kind of an homage to the ancient serials of the the, the 40s and such, but I, I the popularity, there's no way that any company would have greenlit science fiction if, I don't know, science fiction may have died without Maybe. Star Trek. That could be. It would certainly be a lot different. You wouldn't be seeing um, adult science fiction at all, you know? There'd be mm-hmm. no Blade Runner. There'd be you know none of that stuff. I mean, there would be in, in literature, but not in film, I don't think. So Gene Roddenberry's responsible for a lot. And people credit him with, uh, credit Star Trek with the technology that we're using right now, computers and our cell phones. And Gene Roddenberry had an idea for a television show. He wanted to make a science fiction show and an, uh, an anthology show with standing sets. He wanted to have the ability to tell stories about today using aliens and far off things that, that would be entertaining for someone to watch. And maybe they would glean the message without making it uh, overt. Like, you know, this week's cop episode is about, you know, the, racism and it's obvious and everybody's like oh that's obviously about racism but when it's about you know this slug monster is just protecting its babies but you didn't like it because it's different that's science fiction it's what it's there for i think that gene roddenberry had a great idea and and executed it greatly and and tos is the original vision i mean i know i just said he didn't change his vision but uh, TOS is the original version of 
what Gene envisioned. And it's glorious. Yeah, I went through phases that I think a lot of Star Trek fans go through uh, in in regards to uh, Gene Roddenberry, where, you know, you first discover Star Trek and you see, like, oh, who created this thing? Oh, it's Gene Roddenberry. Oh, that man is a saint. And then you start getting into it more and you start watching Deep Space Nine and you start realizing that, you know, a lot of these things start getting really good once, uh, you know, Roddenberry's involvement uh, either diminished or, or went away entirely. And you start thinking, maybe Roddenberry really isn't as good as you thought. Maybe he was just an idea man and, you know, the real talent lies elsewhere. I hate Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry's a jerk. I wish he never existed. You know, I mean, and, and I went through that too. I'm like, he, he came up with a great idea. He had no idea how to execute it. That guy, he just did not know television. And then when you get a little bit older and you start analyzing things and you start looking at things not just from, you know, today's perspective and you go back and you see what was involved with creating the original series and what the climate of science fiction was like back then and everything, you realize that this guy was a straight-up genius and that uh, while maybe he had some errors in judgment along the way, on the whole, he is responsible for a lot of what we love today. And without him, the world would be very very different so i'm all for gene roddenberry now i think that he did a lot of stupid stuff that's that's not debatable but he also created star trek that makes me feel so much better (laughs) what's that well because that's exactly the the exactly the path that i followed because it was like wow gene roddenberry and then you read like you know i never got into the the ex- other franchises as much but uh like reading Shatner's books about you know and then Gene every movie would suggest that we go back in time and stop the Kennedy assassination and then Spock would have to pull the trigger on the grassy knoll <laughs> and like Gene just became set in his ways and just throwing things out there for the sake of no I mine Star Trek my idea is the bestest it's the bestest idea. And he had that going on, for sure. Just last week we were talking about, you know, how we, we spoke to, to John D.F. Black. The reason why he left the show was because he was sick and tired of Gene Roddenberry rewriting everyone, including himself. And Roddenberry had... I mean, I think my my original uh, sort of disillusionment with Gene Roddenberry came from an article that I read in some magazine about the uh, the making of Star Trek, the motion picture, where basically uh, people, I forget who it was, because there were a number of different writers on that, that movie, but they would write a script, turn it in, and before it actually got to like the head of the studio, Roddenberry would get his hands on it and rewrite it. And then the studio would be like, why is this so bad? And it's because Roddenberry <laughs> was you know changing it around. And like when I read that, I thought, like, God... I hate this guy. Look at what he's doing. Look at how he's, you know. And and then you hear, you know, Harlan Ellison talk about how he rewrote City on the Edge of Forever. And while all of that is true, there's also the, the other side to it, which is he's trying to 
create a series, you know, and, yes. and, and in the process of doing this, you are going to have to, uh, you know, rewrite things in order to meld them into the thing that you're trying to do. I mean, that's just the job. That's his job. And as, as a creator of a show, you, you have to do that. If he didn't do that, we'd have a, a bunch of really great standalone episodes and something which, on the whole, would make no sense at all. Yeah, you, you have to remember, in during the original series era, there weren't, like, showrunners or writer's rooms or anything like that. They People wrote scripts and sent them in. They they had a general understanding. I mean, half these episodes were written before they started filming. Yeah. So they had, you know, there's Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and, uh, you know, McCoy has a Russian accent, you know. It made sense at the beginning for Roddenberry to have to rewrite a lot of things because he understood the characters. And maybe he didn't know how to present that to the writers early enough for them to understand the characters, too. But he had all the characters in his head and and the stories he wanted to tell. And so that's why there were so many heavy rewrites in the first season, or the, most of the original series, is because Roddenberry wanted to be the showrunner. Maybe the original series would have been better with a writer's room showrunner kind of aspect that, that the later series had. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think if you look at the, the original series, especially the first two seasons, you know they were bringing in such you know quality talent, and we were getting such great episodes that uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think maybe a writer's room wouldn't have been able to turn out s- stuff that was that great. You know, maybe on the whole, it would have been uh, consistently higher, you know, because there's s- certainly some really, really, really bad episodes in the original series. And maybe we wouldn't have, have gotten things like Spock's Brain or whatever, but I also don't think we would have gotten things like City on the Edge of Forever. And I, I guess I would be willing to sacrifice you know, a number of uh, episodes from that show in order to get the really great ones. Since it doesn't have a continuing storyline or anything like that, you know, Deep Space Nine, for example, I think is is kind of a different beast where they're telling a one big story and, you know, you, you kind of need that. But for the original series, like you were saying, Roddenberry wanted to make it kind of an anthology thing. and And if you're doing that, where each episode is going to be its own thing, then I think it it makes sense to to do it the way that they did it. Yeah, and a writers, I guess, a writers' room in the '60s would be Roddenberry and a bunch of junior writers who may not know what they're doing, and so Roddenberry throws out an idea, they write it out, and then that's it. Right, and, and I mean, if we think about who it would be, I mean, you could say Dorothy Fontana for sure. Yeah. Gene Kuhn, I guess, and uh, depending on where you're at, you know, John D.F. Black or Stephen Karabatsos, right? That's how you pronounce his name? I don't know. Not sure. You know, those would be the guys, and uh, they're all really, really good writers, of course, but Richard Matheson wouldn't be there, you know, Harlan Ellison wouldn't be there, and that's that's a pretty big uh, sacrifice to make. Okay, so we're both fans of the original series. Obviously, it, it's 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 a very good show, and what Roddenberry did with it was really interesting. When he got older, 
and some would say wiser in in the 1980s he developed a new star trek show called the next generation that while being um very similar to the original series in in some ways also altered certain things to reflect i i would say roddenberry's uh current world view how do you think roddenberry's vision for the next generation compares to his vision for the original series well i i I get the feeling that he got away from the anthology mindset not that there's giant overarching things but it's more cohesive I, i he i think he may have been able to show the writers what he wanted quicker than than he did in in the 60s but tng's interesting to me after realizing that picard represents gene as an older person you know the 80s gene roddenberry uh, very calm very idealistic very reasonable and riker represents the kirk era kind of the impulsive ladies man put your leg up on things but what's interesting most interesting to me about tng is wesley he represents gene as a child which which really hurts me when when everyone hated wesley crusher even from like the first episode they talked about how special he was and then the traveler comes and he's like you know he's super awesome and he'd save the ship all the time, and everybody hated him for it. I don't understand that. I wonder how much it hurt Gene. I mean, that's his young, idealistic self. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I guess I, if, if I were in that position, if I were doing that, I would think, you know, well, if people hated me, hated my teenage self, I'd be like, eh, they got a point. <laughs> you know, my teenage self was an idiot, so... <laughs> I I don't know. I I don't think that I would I would uh take that too personally. And then that might actually be sort of the point of Wesley too is to say like yeah, he is annoying. You know, he he is uh, this is that character. I mean, I I think sometimes what people do is they they hate on something um which maybe they kind of should be hating on and it's sort of like this misplaced aggression where it's like these writers are so terrible look at how terrible this character is that they're writing when in reality it's like you know that character is supposed to rub you the wrong way you know that uh-huh. that is that's what it's doing that's what it's it's there for you know you're not supposed to like everybody and you know maybe that that's uh in some ways uh an endorsement of of the character it, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing i can see that like I totally agree with what you're saying, and and I, I do find that to be very interesting. I, I guess just a, another side of it, which I think is is also really interesting, is how um, a lot of the uh, sort of rules, the Star Trek rules, the the Roddenberry box, if you will, that that people apply to Star Trek on the whole, I think didn't really come about until the Next Generation. Those were things mm-hmm. that that Roddenberry came up with. Uh, later on in, in, in his, his career. And in some ways, I think uh, they were crippling to the show. The idea of there being no conflict between uh, humans. Um, right. 
that's not really good for drama. And that's not really something that you see in the original series when you think about it. A lot of the original series is based on the inner drama between Kirk and McCoy and Spock, kind of. That's, I think, a necessary component uh, of that series. And that's something which is definitely missing in The Next Generation. And they found their own thing and they were able to work around it. But it's not the same show, which is fine. I mean, I'm okay with it being something different. But I kind of wonder, like, if he had... Like, let's say, instead of doing a Next Generation, he decided to do a reboot. He decided to 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 J.J. Abrams his, himself. himself. <laughs> yeah. And, and do a, a new Star Trek show with new actors or whatever in 1986 or 1987. I wonder if he would have applied those ideals to to that that show i think he would have i think he kind of pulled a lucas and said you know like oh this is how it's always been when that's not the case (laughs) well it's not like he he changed in continuity like you're not allowed to argue with other starfleet officers or anything he just imposed that on the writers that all of the conflict needs to come from the outside yeah i mean i don't know that's a pretty thin line there though no (laughs) i mean he basically did say that I'm trying but, to defend Roddenberry. You called him Lucas, and I'm that ire that 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 gets me riled up. <laughs> Look, I don't have anything against Lucas. Uh, l- let me say that, or I don't have any problem with most of the special edition stuff. You know, I'm I'm okay with almost everything that Lucas does. I liked Red Tails. That was good. And that's that's the end of the last episode <laughs> of Standard Orbit. You'll have a new co-host next week. but you know i mean i do definitely see parallels between them they're not as blatant but uh they're definitely there i I know you're not a huge fan of of the next generation or at least not nearly as big a fan as you are of the original series Do do you think that uh what roddenberry was doing in the next generation worked no from what I've seen and what I've I've, I've gathered, I, you know, because I'm not a huge TNG fan, I've not seen everything, but I'm familiar with with most everything that happens and the good episodes I've seen, either the, you know, high red letter episodes. But I don't, I don't like the 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 restrictions that he put on himself and the other writers. Other than that, I mean, I it's a great show. Don't get me wrong. I just I feel like it could have been better if it didn't have those kinds of of restrictions if i'm not saying picard needed to beam down and and punch aliens in the face he had Riker for that but there's a lot of sitting and talking about problems which is what 80s roddenberry wanted i mean this was the cold war was still going on and he wanted everybody to sit down and talk about their problems I mean, there's a counselor who sat next to the captain on the bridge and their families. And he, like, wanted to show this this whole calm, more calm future, I guess, because he had kids. I'm imagining that that changed a lot. But I feel that that maybe TNG being more calm was a reaction to having kids and wanting them to grow up in an even better future than what he dreamed about in the 60s. That could be. 
I, I, I can also see it just being like him getting older and him, you know, having this idea in the 60s and developing that further over the span of, you know, 20 years is natural for, for things to change when you're thinking about them for that that long of a period. I mean, I, I am a fan of The Next Generation for sure. I, you know, I, I think on the whole it's it's better than the original series. Sorry. But I, I also see that not being the case if Roddenberry's involvement in Next Generation had been as large as it was in the original series. I think if Roddenberry had taken um, the uh, the ideas that he had on Next Generation and imposed them as greatly as he did his ideas for the original series, that that show would have failed. And I think you can see evidence of that in seasons one and two. It's season three where Roddenberry, I think, kind of starts to take a step back and Rick Berman takes a step forward and Michael Piller comes in there that I think we find sort of a happy middle ground. Rick Berman, another guy who takes a lot of crap from people, which I think is rather unjustified. And surely, I mean, I I was someone who would hate on Rick Berman with a passion (laughs) back in the day. But you stop, you know, again, just like Roddenberry, you you look at him now and you're like, oh, well, that's completely misguided. You know, this guy is responsible for some of the best television in history. And um, I think what he did, you know, his, I mean, you, you hear him talking, you hear how he was sort of under this pressure to maintain Roddenberry's vision. You know, he was the mm-hmm. guy who was left with, with that um, responsibility. And I think he did a good job of that. But at the same time, I think he did a good job of giving his writers enough leeway to tell good stories. You know, he, he was able to kind of take that that Roddenberry vision and uh, apply a certain level of practicality to it in order to make it work. And, you know, the result is the the later seasons of Next Generation, which are amazing. So... I guess that's that's kind of where I where I, I how I feel about that. In, in Roddenberry's um, ideals and everything, which he applied to Next Generation, were really good. But it's even better that someone else came in and interpreted them in a way that 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 made sense. Yeah, maybe maybe we can look at it like TOS was other writers coming in with a script and Roddenberry performing surgery on it to make it fit his vision. While by next generation's time, people understood his vision and would submit Roddenberry would have his vision and they would write to it instead of writing and then being conformed to the vision. And maybe that is what gives it its cohesiveness. What, and what makes uh, TNG enjoyable. Yeah, I could say that. Yeah. And if you look at the things where Roddenberry had free reign, you get Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. Which is not the best way to start your reboot. No. No, it's no. not. I mean, part of that's not his fault either. I know, like, I think it was the studio who was really pushing to make it like a two-hour pilot, and he didn't want to do that. I mean, it was essentially written as like an hour or a 90-minute pilot. And they had to expand it in order to meet the studio's needs and everything. 
And when you take those things into account, you can kind of see why that episode doesn't work at all. But still, I mean, that doesn't really excuse the rest of season one. <laughs> but uh, once once it found its way, it became a, a, a really, really, really good show. And then, of course, after that, Roddenberry was gone. And the big question becomes, well, now what's Star Trek? Now what do you do? And what we got were Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and now the JJ-verse. And... Um, I guess my question would be, how do you think post-Roddenberry Trek has uh, changed? And how do you think Roddenberry would respond to post-Roddenberry Trek? I feel like post-Roddenberry Trek is people playing in the universe, not necessarily following the Roddenberry vision. I mean that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that the that all of the rest of the franchise doesn't follow Roddenberry's vision and therefore it's bad. But I'm saying that that Roddenberry's calm vision for the future, like I was saying about TNG, isn't really applicable to Deep Space Nine. But it's a logical extension from it. DS9 is good television because it takes those concepts and plays with them. And Voyager takes those concepts and plays with them. They may not necessarily line up with the Roddenberry vision. And Enterprise. Like, I'm in the middle of season three, and it's it's just 24. That's what it is. <laughs> Which I find disturbing. It kind of makes me feel icky. I I don't like that. But I guess that, I mean, it's a prequel series, so they're trying to show why they have the Roddenberry vision in the future. I mean, why in universe they have the Roddenberry vision, maybe. Well, I think the other thing about that, um, which is kind of interesting on a meta level is that just like the original series, enterprise is about the time that it's made in. And, you know, season three of enterprise is all about post nine 11 America. And that's kind of the mindset of the country at that time, which is, you know, scary and everything but i i wonder you know what he would have done with that what he would have done with star trek if he had lived in the aughts and it's impossible to tell it depends on if which of roddenberry's visions he would go with in the future would he have stuck with his ideal utopia future or would he have followed the vision of we need to tell stories about today using aliens as proxies making these morality tales and 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 putting a mirror up to ourselves a funny looking mirror that makes everyone have nose ridges or or wrinkly foreheads but but he puts the mirror up to society i and it would have made him money like in the end roddenberry wasn't just in it for the ideals. He was in it for money. And the fact that, you know, we're still making Star Trek movies 50 years later is, would have tickled him. I met, I mean, just this idea. He's like, I wanted to do this show. And now look, and he even said, I mean, for people who disparage the new movies, he says, he said in the sixties, there's plenty of quotes where he says, look, you know, if somebody feels like they can, 
you know, want to put a different spin on this, you know, a newer, younger person comes in and wants to change things around, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so with quotes like that, it makes me think that he he may have kicked his feet, you know, just be like, no, I want to rewrite, you know, let me rewrite this Deep Space Nine episode. But but I feel in the end he would have been pleased that they, we were still telling stories that that uh, echoed with mankind. Yeah, for me, I I think that uh, post Roddenberry Trek is quite good on the whole. I think that uh, him not being around to impose his vision was ultimately beneficial but also having someone like Berman around to make sure that someone uh was watching over the franchise with Roddenberry's philosophies in mind was was actually really good I think that you know Deep Space Nine is some of the best work in in Trek ever and I don't think that it would exist the way that it does had Roddenberry been around had Roddenberry been in charge so so in that sense, I, I think that uh, it's kind of cool to see uh, other people get a shot at uh, their take on the universe. Would he have approved? I don't know. I mean, let's, we, we can go through, you know, and, and see, like, just basic concepts, like pre, pre-show existing, someone pitches Deep Space Nine. Do you think that Roddenberry would have signed off on that? No. I don't think so either. What about Voyager? Yes. I agree. Enterprise? <laughs> yes. I agree with that too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and the new movies? Yes, definitely. Like I said, he, you know, yeah. oh, somebody wants to just redo it? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with all of those. Now, um, if he were to come back and watch all of these series... Which ones do you think he would like? Deep Space Nine? Yeah. You think yeah, so? I think, I think he would. I think that he would He would be like, well, you know, I could see why you did what you did. I don't think he would like it. You don't? No. Or maybe he would like it. You know, probably, I, I think this would be his rea- reaction. Like, it's good, but it's not Star Trek. I think that would be uh. his reaction. You know, yeah, I could see him saying that. And what about Voyager? I think he would have liked aspects of Voyager. Like, I think he would have liked the concept because the concept is great, and Voyager falls apart when it starts ignoring that and just becoming regular cliched Star Trek. Yeah, I agree. I think he he would have been way into the concept, and I think. Uh, his reaction to it would have been similar to what his reaction to Next Generation probably was, which is, you know, there's really good episodes and there's really bad episodes and whatever. On the whole, yeah, it's an entertaining show. And what about Enterprise? I don't know. I mean, they took a lot of... I feel like they took a lot of liberties with, like, with the Vulcans and concepts that he he had come up with. And I'm sure that his history of Vulcan would have been completely different. His first contact and all of his ideas. I think that it would have messed because it wasn't in the future and it was pre-Kirk. I'm sure that he had all kinds of ideas. And if he was Lucas, he would have wrote it all down and we would know. But I'm sure he had all these ideas about 
you know, first contact and, and the first man, you know, the first warp flight and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he did. We had Cochrane in, in TOS and he was a completely different person. I don't, I don't know if he would have liked it. Just for that reason. I mean, I'm sure he would have liked the episodes, but I don't think he would have liked the fact that it didn't fit in with whatever. He would have wanted to rewrite all the episodes. No, 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 no. There was, you know, T'Pau would have never done this or whatever. Yeah, you know, I think of the three series, like, in terms of the pitches, Enterprise would have been the one that he would be the most behind. But I also think that that would probably be the show which he disliked the most after it was made. For a lot of the the reasons that you were talking about before, with like season three being all about you know um, a hunt for terrorists and stuff like that, I think that he would have been like you know that's not that's not what this show is about. And I mean I think that like season three is weird because I think it's it's a long road to get to where they're going, and once they get there, that's... they essentially redeem themselves. But there's some weird stuff that that's that goes on, you know, over the course of that show, and uh, I think there's some stuff in there which he would have just absolutely flat out hated. Yeah, and I think it would have been the continuity stuff that a lot of the fans didn't like. That yeah, but also I think just sort of the uh, the philosophical approach that they took, you know, a lot of the uh, the the issues that they dealt with and the way that they dealt with those issues. I think are sort of contrary to what uh, Roddenberry's ideals were. Right. Now, what about the J.J. movies? I mean, that that to me is like the thing, because there's a lot of people who are like, this is not Star Trek more than anything, you know, and which I personally don't understand. But, you know, there are a lot of people who will burn those movies and will say, like, that's a good movie. It sure as hell isn't Star Trek. What do you think Roddenberry would have said about the new movies? I I think that he probably would have gone the same way that the the fans you're talking about have. Cuz he, I mean, look, let's see what happens. Roddenberry wants to make a movie, he makes the motion picture. Or or some kind of cliché time travel story. I think that he would be, well, at his age, what his age would have been now, he would have been lost and confused. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't. I, I, I think um, I think he would have liked him. I think he would have liked him a lot. I, I think that he wouldn't be so precious about the little things that, that some people seem to get really upset over. And I think that uh, he would have um, liked to have seen Star Trek on that scale. Mm-hmm. And I think he would have liked the way that the characters were handled in general. I don't think I think there would have been some things which he would have pissed him off. I don't think he would have liked Vulcan blowing up or any anything like yeah. that. But on the whole, I I think he would have liked these movies. I really do. And I think he would consider them to be Star Trek. They are despite popular belief, they do tell try to tell deeper stories. And, you know, they're they're still holding a mirror up to society. Yeah. That's 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 my take on it. I can see that. I mean, I like the new movies. I'm just not... It, it's hard to imagine what Roddenberry would have liked Yeah. about yeah. them. Well, any final thoughts on uh, G-Rod? I appreciate everything that he did. I, I think that he was able to find a, a good balance between wanting to make something that would sell without selling out. 
and uh, I think that he found that balance with with TOS. He was able to tell the stories that he wanted, but also tell uh, you know knew how far to push the network in order to show what he wanted to show. And then in TNG and the following, when he had syndication, he could just put whatever he wanted pretty much. And he learned to eventually to step back and, and let other people carry his torch for him. And, uh, if he hadn't and just no franchise without me, then we wouldn't be here talking today. Yeah, I, I don't true. think. Yeah, you know, like I was saying before, um, he's definitely a flawed character, creatively and personally, I guess. But um, I think it's a mistake to let those flaws overshadow the fact that he is responsible for probably the best television franchise in history and if you take it a step down from that and look at just what he did on a a daily basis on on that original series it's really 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 impressive of course there were missteps of course you know he he made mistakes when developing next generation but on the whole his his uh his contribution to the world cannot be underestimated. Amen. It's been fun talking about Gene Roddenberry today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Kirk versus computers. Like there was some kind of salesman going around selling this this life-controlling model. It's, it's like the iMac, you know? Everyone had an iMac back in 1999 or whatever it was, right? The Bondi Blue Landrew. Earl Grey. Data. I think the only other time we see Data in red is, uh, I think, in one of the parallel jumps in Parallels. Yeah. I think in Future Imperfect, maybe. With that funky combat. Is, is Data in red? Kind of like the song Lady in Red? <laughs> Data in red. <laughs> the Orb. Majority prophecies. <laughs> well, you know, um, I was thinking that Haran was probably not so much a prophet as a Bajoran songwriter who just wrote really bad lyrics. The Ready Room. Ready Uniform. Because, I mean, I right. didn't see Eddington feeling he was the bad guy in this. Oh, he no. was doing what he believed in. Yeah. Where I think Cisco seemed to me, you know, he definitely started to white whale on this. To the journey! Samantha and Naomi Wildman. She acted like a normal kid, except extremely yes. smart. Yes. Yeah, granted, even though she was incredibly bright, because all Trek kids are, they're extremely advanced in the 24th century, she wasn't annoying like Wesley. Commentary, Trek stars. The Black and Christmas interview. Gene didn't really delve into anything with any depth. He, I think he played the cards very close to his vest. He knew what he wanted, and he made sure he got it. And that's why he rewrote writers, and he, he, that's even why he rewrote me. Warp 5. The Temporal Cold War. But as you say, with with Archer, or Future Guy, uh, if we were to assume it's Archer, he's not just making you know, changes on, on a small detail or trying to recapture. You know, in Anorax's case, it's, it's getting his wife back. Right. Um, 
he's looking to completely change the course of, of history on a much broader scale. Trek News and Views. The Data Network. With the Data Network, I wanted something that the Star Trek fans had already there. They didn't need to do anything. They just had to come along and be the Trekkie selves. Literary Treks. Warren Ivory. Yeah, I thought that that was great that they finally explained that question that you had had, why there are no gateways uh, within uh, the Bajoran system and that that's not necessarily true and that the fact is that the Iconians know the prophets. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Let's tell everybody where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and then choose standard orbit. That will come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using webcam's microphone, or you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you when they're not in orbit? You can find me on Twitter at comtrekstars, or you can find me on trek.fm doing commentary trekstars with my co-host Max, or you can find me on my website, commentarytrekstars.com, where I do commentary trekstars off-topic with Max and Brandon. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and you can find me around the Trek FM network in various places. We've got another iTunes review. It's called Boldly Go. Finally, this is the TOS podcast you've been waiting for. This is another excellent show from the Trek FM stable, and like all their shows, this one really is a top-notch discussion with hosts who really know TOS and delve into it with some fascinating and insightful conversation that I've come to expect from Trek FM. Looking forward to hearing more of Standard Orbit. If you're a TOS fan, don't miss out. Or let me put it another way. This is a show hosted by a guy named Landrew. You must listen, unless, of course, you are not of the body. That's from Captain Koloth, which is incredible in more than one way. (laughs) He is the best. Although... I, I do want to say, just for the record, that Drew is the one who really knows the original series. I'm just the poser, okay? I don't want to... I, I, I want to be very clear on that. I don't want people <laughs> being like, that guy doesn't know anything about the original series, because I'll just be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're totally right about that. So, just want to get that out there. But you, you've seen all the other series, and you're reading the Cushman book. You've got, You've got the... Yeah, I mean, I've seen all of the original series. I've definitely, you know, I mean, I'm just talking about, like, up against you. No, <laughs> I, I feel inadequate. So, yeah, just want to get that out there. Well, if you want to leave a review, you can go on iTunes and rate and review us. I don't know if there's rate and reviews on other podcast things, but plug it in. Plug in all the stars everywhere you can. <laughs> <laughs> but be honest. We want honest star reviews. Yeah. There are less than five stars available, but we like five stars. Honesty. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It's the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. 
I said. 